Welcome to the Neanderthal Mind, bringing you riveting, educational, humorous, and sometimes serious perspectives on our Neanderthal mind. We dive deep into why what our Neanderthal ancestors did to survive still has a profound effect on our modern mind. Take a journey with us as we roll back the clock millions of years. All right, my fellow cave dwellers, if you're ready, let's get this wheel rolling. Now here's your host and the leader of the pack, Anthony Yokolano. All right, cave dwellers, the waiting is over. This is the second part of my conversation with E.A. Meigs. I know you all enjoyed the first episode because you all told me so in your comments. I'm so happy it was what you wanted. I know the second episode will be just as pleasing. So, without further delay, we're going to pick back up where we left off, talking with E.A. Meigs about her next series, Due Out in 2021. I'll talk to you on the flip side, cave dwellers. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. Here we go. Only gets the main character into his 20s, and he still has a ways to go. Oh, wow. Okay. Very good. <laughs> yes, but uh, the the next series, and this is something that I've had on the back burner uh, since, uh, since the beginning, um, the main character has a son named Fox, and you may have noticed that my um, trademark is a fox. So he was going to be an important character right from the beginning. And uh, I had always wanted to do a companion series for children starring Fox. So I have written the first draft of the first book in the next second series. Um, and that will also be released next year. <laughs> you are creating another monster, are you not? <laughs> <laughs> it's a labor of love, I, I have to say. Um, <laughs> I would be doing it even if I wasn't selling the books. Well, that's, that's the passion about it. And that's that, you know, that comes out in the writing and I, and that's, uh, I, I, I like seeing that. And I, I feel that as well. Read whenever, again, not, haven't got to read all of the books yet, but uh, I can still feel the passion that you have for it. So and then some people watch TV, I write. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's a good thing to do. So then um, getting back to the series, what, um, what type of research did you use to create that, to create your series? I primarily rely on scientific papers uh, whenever possible. I'm, I read everything I can get my hands on. Um, and people send me links to, um, to different papers and articles and things. And that's always appreciated. Even if I've read, you know, about the subject before, there's always some nuance that wasn't included in the uh, source that I had previously read. So I just read absolutely everything to get my hands on. And I think, as I mentioned, you have to sift the uh, wheat from the chaff because <laughs> some, of the, some of the theories out there are, are uh, jaw-dropping. <laughs> some of the stuff I've read uh, that are just completely improbable. Um, but I read them anyways. <laughs> I might not use them, but I read them. <laughs> sure. Now, so a lot of the resources, you, you have uh, a few, uh, I guess they'd be archaeologists, right? No, geneticists? Um, so Paleoanthropologists are, um, you know, are involved in some similar science. And in one case, um, I hope I don't mangle this poor man's name, Svante Pavo. He's a geneticist. Okay. I actually watched a YouTube video with him. On. 
Yes, I've watched several. Very interesting man. And one of the most uh, compelling reasons to watch his videos from a person, from the standpoint of a person who writes uh, books that involve Neanderthals is um, in the beginning, he didn't sound at all interested in finding out that uh, there was any genetic connection. <laughs> and he, one uh, video presentation, I, I heard he was saying that uh, he was so appalled when he found out that his staff um, had found that uh, we shared DNA with the Neanderthal that he made them retest it 10 times because he didn't want it to be true. But, you know, he's, he's now sort of resigned himself to that fact. And he's very funny when he talks about it. But, you know, he's just moving forward now and um, just has a, a lot of really interesting information. And it, it's one thing to get it from people who just gush about Neanderthals and how wonderful they are, but it's quite another to get it from a person who's, you know, Really not crazy about finding out that they're part of the family tree. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good to have both views of it, and then you can kind of correlate exactly. your own view. Yeah. Right. Uh, and you, right. Also, yes. you also mentioned uh, Professor Hawks, John Hawks, yeah? Yes. Yes, yes he's another person who has wonderful uh, video presentations. I, uh, I watch them whenever I see he's come out with a new one. Yeah, I sent an email to him uh, to see if he'd be interested in coming on the uh, Neanderthal mind. So just waiting to hear back from him. Uh, also, oh, Seabrook. Well, I hope he does. Yeah, me too. <laughs> also, the, one of the <laughs> other ones you got here is Rebecca Rag Sykes. So I was actually, I read her book before I got to yours. And you both tell s fantastic stories with the information that you have, you know, with the true life uh, discoveries that we have. You both formulated some pretty fantastic stories based on those things. And, and actually I'll have uh, uh, Rebecca Rag Sykes will be on the podcast uh, next month in a couple of two weeks. Uh, maybe I'll be interviewing her. So. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I look forward to that. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> All right. So let's see if we covered everything in that one. So uh, also you, you say you pull some of your research is based off of, your life growing up uh, camping, uh, just being out in the wilderness. Uh, you said you uh, worked for the fish and wildlife. So you were able to kind of experience or, or bring your experience to how they could be living their lives with gathering food and wherever it might be, right? Right. And just information about animals in particular. Um, in between my career working on boats um, and segueing to uh, writing and editing, um, by the time I got out of the uh, commercial fishing industry, I was, I was just absolutely desperate to find a job doing anything else because I was really starting to um, have physical issues. I'm not a very big person and uh, doing a, a lot of very heavy work um, and uh, on the job injuries and that sort of thing. I just really wanted out. And uh, initially I, I got a job managing a shipping department and I was thinking oh good you know finally we'll be doing heavy work headed up uh, so I found out when first day in the job I was shipping slate oh, rocks <laughs> <laughs> but I got to be clean and warm and dry and you know I, I, I kept progressing towards things that interested me more and um, that you know I, um, I did some writing for um, newspapers and magazines but um, I um, eventually got a job with uh, Fish and Wildlife, and it was just a small field office for a large management area. It was about 101 square miles. 
and uh, you know they had uh, in addition to the the techs who actually um, operated the management area they had a lot of biologists and sometimes they would take me out on their field work with them and uh, or even just just um, you know out and about the management area and out on controlled burns and things and it was uh, it was just fascinating it was a tremendous experience um, every time I, I'm back in the area, I still stop in and see them, and uh, it was just a, a wonderful job. And I also spent a year living and working at a state park, and that also was just an uh, just absolutely incredible experience. I had a Bernice Mountain Dog at the time, and uh, he and I would hit the trails first thing in the morning as soon as it was light enough to get out. We'd actually be waking up the deer from where they were bedded down sleeping. <laughs> and uh, we ran all kinds of critters. Um, you know, we saw bobcat almost every day. Um, one time, see a, a black furry butt sticking out of the brush. Well, it's either a bear or a hog. <laughs> and uh, it was it was a hog. Neither one would have been great. Um, but we were far enough away that we could just back off and go another direction. Because uh, I've seen what a hog can do to a, a dog. They make a pretty good mess of them. A bear wouldn't have been great either. <laughs> you know, because of the dog, most of the time bears um, are not interested in interacting with people, but it, it was the dog I was worried about because the dog would have gone after him. So your dog, Sam, yeah, he uh, he's, was kind of with you. for How long did you have? How long was Sam with you? Uh, just short of nine years. Bernie's okay. Mountain Dogs are a large breed dog. He was over 100 pounds and they just don't live that long. Uh, but he was my uh, buddy 24-7. <laughs> They are uh, fantastic family members, other than when they're barking whenever you're trying to record a podcast, but that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) He was just doing his job. (laughs) That's right. He's doing his job. When I was managing editor of um, online learning, we did online meetings and it wasn't the barking. It was Sam snoring when he'd be snoring during meetings. (laughs) And I'd say, that's not me. Really? (laughs) You're awake. I'm I'm awake. I'm listening. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> uh, you gotta love them. <laughs> yes, you do. I miss them every day. Your experience with early hominids, or uh, you know, when did your journey start with the Neanderthals? Oh boy, um, I've always been interested in uh, paleoanthropology, but uh, I think it was about uh, twenty years ago when I was reading an article about Neanderthals, and uh, I had always. I hadn't really given a whole lot of thought to them to separate them from other early humans. I just kind of, you know, included them in my mental lineup. But I was reading an article after, um, I believe it was three Neanderthal individuals who were discovered and they had uh, tested their DNA. And um, I had always pictured the Neanderthals as being kind of ape-like and very primitive and the stereotypical cavemen. And after the uh, DNA analysis, I come to find out that they weren't at all what I expected because the first ones they, you know, they thought were very uh, fair-haired and fair-skinned. And so I'm reading this article. Well, they're a little taller than I thought. I, I didn't realize. It said the males averaged about five foot five to five foot six. And the females were about five foot to five foot one. I think, hmm, I'm five foot tall. Hmm, check. And then they're saying, you know, they're heavy boned. Oh. I'm heavy boned. Check. They have uh, red auburn hair. Check. Green or hazel eyes. Check. Fair, possibly freckled chin. Check. 
hey, this sounds like me. <laughs> it was sort of startling. But um, that's when I began to really sit up and pay attention and, um, and began to do a lot more reading about Neanderthals. And um, you know, that was long before this book series was conceived, but that's what really piqued my, my interest at first. And, you know, the realization that, uh, that these weren't at all what I imagined and that, uh, you know, especially as time goes on and uh, genetic research reveals more and uh, there's a lot more discoveries in the field that, you know, they are us for a lot of us. Yeah, that's, that's becoming more and more, I guess, realized or more prevalent that they, I had the same stereotype of, you know, knuckle dragon, you know, club yes, swinging, exactly. yeah, <laughs> you know, not, not knowing how to speak words or, you know, yeah. And we've all had that, that stereotypical, and maybe it's from the cartoons, you know, I mean, I guess the Flintstones well, really were a little more, uh, a little more intelligent, but <laughs> Captain Caveman or what have you, you know? <laughs> right. So, uh, that one, one of that, one of your sentences in there is about uh, sixth grade. You had written a paper, uh, a report on history of life. Yes, yes, that was um, very generous of my science teacher when I questioned him about the uh, projects that we were working on, which was basically mixing together chemicals and ooh, that one turned blue. Oh, this one foamed, and I go, what? what practical use is this going to be? <laughs> and he said, well, there's not really any practical use. And he asked me what I would like to do. And I said, well, I'd, I'd rather write a report. So he gave me the go ahead to write a report about any scientific theme I wanted. So I wrote a 68 page paper about the history of life on earth. In sixth grade. That's... <laughs> How old were you around that time? Was it around your first novel that you wrote, your first full length? No, it was later. I, I was probably about 12, I'm okay. guessing. Yeah, I can't remember. It's been too long for me either to remember how old I was and what grade I was in. So, <laughs> Again, back to your series. Um, yeah. Love the artwork. Uh, and you have, again, oh. at the beginning of every one and at the end, actually, I think both. You have artwork in the beginning and at the end, right, of the uh, uh, prehistoric prehistoric animals that existed back then? Right, right. Yes, I have a frontispiece at the front of each book, and at the uh, back I have uh, an animal index because I uh, realized that, say, somebody in Japan might not be um, familiar with animals that, uh, that we see every day, you know, or, you know, in different parts of the world. And um, so some of the animals are would be common for a lot of us and others like the uh, woolly rhinos and um, aurochs and animals like that that have been st extinct for a long time. Um, and you, you know, again, just you, a, you a draw them for readers. Sure, sure, yeah. No, and I, I, I liked that as well because whenever you use the name like aurochs or whatever, I, I'm not, because I'm just getting into uh, you know, the whole Neanderthal realm of things. So uh, whenever you mention some of those, I can't picture them in my mind, but to be able to have a visual reference, it, it definitely helps the story as well. So, and um, you actually draw those yourself, yeah? Yes. And I include a, a little blurb about the animals, how, how big they were, because uh, one of the most amazing things is to think that our ancestors uh, attacked and, and killed these animals and some of them were 
absolutely huge. You know, a full-grown mammoth could be the size of a box truck and, you know, just unimaginably powerful. It gives you a lot of respect <laughs> for them. Yeah, and, 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 and it puts in context how, well, how not, I guess it puts in context how intelligent they actually are, were our Neanderthal ancestors. I mean, to, to try and to think, you know, well, they, you know, didn't know what a rock was or, I mean, then to, to realize that they actually took down, you know, mammoths or, or these huge animals, you know, to feed their families. Not only that, but they existed for hundreds of thousands of years. You know, how could we have a preconceived notion that they were very unintelligent and... <laughs> It's, it's, uh, you know, you think back on it and it's just like, well, how, how did we think that? <laughs> right. <laughs> Boy, I tell you, your, your, uh, webpage, dreamerliteraryproductions.com. My goodness, there is so much information on that site. It's unbelievable. Are, well, now, thank you. I, yeah. I, I try to, um, I don't put as much time into it as I would, would like just because of uh, schedule limitations, but I, I keep working on it and keep trying to improve it. Yeah, I, I was on there and it's, man, I just, I click on one thing and it leads to 30 other things. So then I click on something else and I'm just like, my goodness, there is, and it's all great, fantastic information. My, my gosh, it goes, it goes pretty in depth into, into a lot of things, you know, Neanderthal as well as your books and, uh, everything about you, I guess, in a sense, you know, that, that what makes you you. So uh, we're definitely going to put that link there for, for anyone well, to thank you. sit down and spend hours on <laughs> going through all the fantastic information that, you know, that I've been able to get through as well. So uh, I, I want to thank you for putting something like that together. It's just, it's just it's tremendous and it's amazing amount of information. Oh, it's my pleasure. So get back to a little bit of personal seven grandchildren, huh? Yes. Well, that's fantastic. Yeah. It is fantastic. I I can't wait until I can um, get to see them at a distance of closer than six feet. Uh, oh, a grandma sure. who likes to uh, snuggle her grandkids and read stories to her grandkids and uh, make cookies, teach them how to knit all different stuff, do little projects with them. It, it absolutely kills me <laughs> that, uh, that we have to social distance these days. Now, are there, do, does it seem like any of your grandchildren are going to follow in your footsteps with writing, with being just utterly consumed by a story in their head that they have to get out? <laughs> um. Not thus far, but you, but you never know. Um, they range in age from two to 17. Okay, sure. So, so it's hard to say, you know, because most of them are, are still kind of young. But, uh, you know, whatever they decide to do, I'll be very proud of them. Absolutely. Um, so now I had mentioned to you, and the only reason I mentioned it is because I just watched it, what was it, maybe uh, Monday? I think it's called uh, Genius, and it's about uh, the author Thomas Wolfe, who wrote um, Of Time and the River. He's written other ones, but the genius was about that. And the reason why it made me think about you is because of some of the questions that I had asked you in regards to, my goodness, now you're going to another series of books, and, uh, you know, you're already on book uh, six, with this series. So it's like the same with him, 
the, the first book that he turned into his editor was like 5,000 pages or something like that. So, and it just consumed him and he had to get it out of his head. And that just made me think of you. That's all. Oh, really? Okay. Well, that, that's interesting. I, his, um, his editor must have been completely appalled. <laughs> <laughs> it was, a, it was actually a very good, it had, uh, it has Judd Law and Colin Firth. Colin Firth is, uh, is the editor and, uh, yeah, it was it was a pretty good movie, but like I said, just because you know Jude or Judd Law, I think it's Jude Jude Law uh, is the actor for Thomas Wolfe, and I mean he just was just all consumed by writing of Time and the River, and it, it kind of made me think of you know how much time your series are taking up for you, so. Right, I did uh, do a Wikipedia search, and I, so I got the. Uh the basic meat and potatoes of the story and it sounded as though Thomas Wolfe was a little bit fanatical about it and I hope I'm not I hope I'm not quite that bad <laughs> but, <laughs> well I don't I guess I don't mean fanatical but uh, <laughs> he just didn't want to stop writing is what it was like he just and he said in there that it just he has it in his head and he just has to get it out and that's that's kind of what you know made me think of you is how you just have right to get yes no I I understand completely I uh I can definitely relate that uh, I say my, my books are a noisy presence in my head and they, uh, they want to get out. And, um, so yes, I understand completely. Uh, so coming kind of towards the end of the uh, interview here, Megan, I, I absolutely appreciate you uh, taking the time on, on the weekend to, and again, as well as m myself, I have a, a, a weekly job, you know, a, a weekday job that I go to. So most of my free time for interviewing is Saturdays and uh, it seems to be working out so far. Um, but uh, like I said, I want to definitely appreciate you uh, taking your time out to, to sit down with me for, for this podcast. But uh, before we go, a couple more things. Was there anything that we didn't go over that you can think of that you would like to uh, like to discuss? I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but I do want to add that uh, I really appreciate your time with this interview as well and the opportunity to uh, to get to speak with you and get to speak about my my books. I think we have a mutual friend with uh, Joe Lawler. Uh, I interviewed him two weeks two, three weeks ago, three weeks ago. And he had recommended me, recommended you to me. Uh, so I definitely uh, appreciate him making the connection between us so that we can sit down and have this conversation. But uh, whenever I started looking into your books, I was like, man, that's, that's exactly what I want my podcast to be about is how they lived back then and how it still affects the way we live today, you know, and it, it, you put it down all in paper and it's all right there for me to even see. So appreciate that well i'm just glad that you enjoy it and i uh i just hope that that other people enjoy it sometimes readers reach out to me and uh send me a, a message with a remark or send me an email or something and uh boy that just makes my whole day i i love reading how people enjoy the stories and enjoy the characters and a lot of people tell me that they really relate to Tris, um, the main character, and it uh, pleases me no end. <laughs> yeah, that's that's probably is a pretty awesome feeling, and uh, I, I know with my side, I, I definitely appreciate being able to to to, to dive in and, and and put all of the research into a story. I think that's fantastic. Where how you know you take all the research that all the discoveries and. 
you know, everything that we know about Neanderthals and you put it into a story and it, it, it gets us a, a lot more connected to our Neanderthal ancestors. And uh, that's, that's kind of what I'm getting out of the series. And, and I, it's, it's pr been pretty fantastic so far. So I appreciate that. Oh, well, thank you. I, I, I really strive to make the, the stories as plausible as possible. And I try to make them as, as much fact-based and around history-based as, as possible. And that can be a bit challenging because theories change all the time. When I first wrote the book one at that time, they had only found those, I think, um, or at least done uh, DNA analysis on the first three Neanderthals who they thought were fair-haired, fair-skinned. And, um, and then they did a couple more individuals and it turned out that um, they were darker. And I'm like, oh, rats here, I've already described them as being red-haired and, you know, freckled. And, uh, and now it turns out they're not. So I had to, uh, you know, sort of revise things a little bit and include that, um, that they think that the Neanderthal um, had the same coloring as modern day uh, Eurasians. Yeah, I was thinking about that earlier when we were, we were when we were talking on, uh, you know, how, how do your does your stories develop around the research that that's coming to light? So it's almost uh, like a bittersweet um, yes. discovery for you <laughs> because when it comes out, you're excited about it coming out, but then you're like, oh darn, I got to change this book, you know, to to equate to the discovery. Right, right. Or mention it in the next book in the introduction, you know, the new discovery or sometimes in the author's notes in the end, I'll include um, various notes uh, about the research or, or just things that pertain to the stories just to um, hopefully give the reader a little bit more information that will add to their appreciation of the character's circumstances. Um, just for example, I used to keep these and um, when I kept bees, I didn't bother with, the, well, I did at first, I, I wore the whole bee suit and, you know, here you are kind of waddling out to your eye with your bee suit. And uh, it's really a cumbersome outfit to work in. And because my bees didn't seem at all perturbed by my working the hive, they, you know, they never attempted to sting me or swarm me or anything. So I eventually abandoned the bee suit. And I just made sure I didn't have any scent on me. I was clean. I was wearing a white t-shirt. You know, they were fine. I was never stung by my own bees. I've been stung by wild bees, but not by my own bees. However, while I was working the hive, if a dog, one of the dogs approached, they would drive that dog right off. <laughs> you know, they would attack the dog. Um, so I made sure because in the books, I talk about how they harvest honey and how it's done without getting stung. Um, you know, and I related in the author's notes, and I think in the back of the first book, about how it was done and about my experiences with my bees. Um, you know, so I just add things like that that I hope will give the reader a little bit more understanding of what's going on in the books. Sorry, I had to, had to ask my dog to be quiet. <laughs> but that, that's, uh, yeah, yeah, it kind of it adds more of a personal touch or, you know, a, a personal relation in a sense to the reader and, the, you know, you being the author, you know, it kind of humanizes the author in a sense, you know. Well, it does that, but I also hope um, that they understand that, you know, I'm not just writing about this, you know, just to add it in as kind of like a, a little additional storyline that there, you know, really is 
fact behind what I'm writing. And, you know, it, it's not all fictional, but there is some fact behind it. Sure. I actually tried to get into bees this past year here as well, but uh, with uh, everything that went down, I wasn't, we, we couldn't have any meetings or anything for me to, to you know, get any more in depth into uh, raising bees or having bees. I, I put my hive out there, but they weren't interested in it. So maybe this year coming up, I'll be able to, to actually get into it. So, Were you trying to get a wild swarm to inhabit the hive or did you? Yeah, that's what I was bees? trying to do because well, I was hoping to purchase bees, but I wanted to go to meetings first to really get a better understanding of raising bees or uh, what was, I can't think of the word for, <laughs> for being a beekeeper, I guess you could say. Um, but with, uh, but with COVID and everything, all those meetings got canceled. So I, I read a little bit about, well, I'll put a hive out there, you know, if they're looking for one, maybe they'll land in yours and uh, a wild hive, but uh, yeah, they didn't. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the chances of that are fairly slim. I've only seen one wild swarm in my life and I don't know if you necessarily want a wild swarm um i actually ordered my bees from sears oh. <laughs> and they were, they were italian bees which are known to be a bit more docile than wild bees um because sometimes wild bees can be uh more aggressive sure. so if you wanted to have bees you know strictly for your you know your own honey consumption i would i would suggest getting um domesticated bees but you know you can certainly try the wild bee route <laughs> well, no, I definitely wouldn't mind the domesticated side of it, and um, but like I said, it just everything fell through, so I threw it out there and said, eh, you know, hey, find a needle in a haystack, maybe we'll see. But uh, uh, hopefully yeah, this year, yeah. yeah, hopefully this year though, I'll be able to purchase a hive and uh, and and get into the get into the honey production. <laughs> so, well, one thing I'll say, if you have a vegetable garden, it makes a tremendous difference. Uh, Back then, I had I was uh, married and I had small children. And I had a certified homestead with um, goats and chickens and bees and um, bunny rabbits, and uh, my vegetable garden was just incredible. And I um, give the bees a lot of credit there because of the uh, pollination. I don't think people realize how important bees are to to the environment, and uh, you know, it's right. yeah. Well, so let's get back on track here. I'm sorry I, I led us down that down that path, but uh, no, that's okay. I'm assuming you're going to edit a lot of this out. <laughs> <laughs> I will. I will. Yeah, <laughs> I may leave it in there. Hey, it's just conversation, you know. But oh, hey, we're human. We're having a conversation. Why not? <laughs> right. No, it's uh, it's actually really nice to speak with you. But yeah, I, I again, I can't say it enough how much I appreciate you. Uh, you know, taking your time and being willing to come on to the podcast. Uh, still small, just just kind of starting. Uh, you'll be number four, I think. Yeah, number four oh. episodes. So, <laughs> yep. So I'm I'm still a I'm still a baby in it. So, it's <laughs> all right. I'm still honored. Well, thank you, thank you. Now, so again, before we go, anything else you can, anything else that might have popped up that you can think of that uh, you wanted to discuss in, in regards to Neanderthals or the books or anything. I I can't think of anything. I, I'm just fun. really thankful that you were willing to speak with me, and I'm uh, extremely thankful for my readers. It means yes. so much to me that people want to read my books. Yes, yes, definitely. Well, you you give them a lot to read, and uh, you know, even with uh, you know, I'll, I'll touch back with your your homepage. I mean, there 
you know, if they weren't aware of it, hopefully, hopefully they will be now and, and they can get a heck of a lot more information, uh, you know, in regards to your studies and, and any more books coming out on your, uh, on your homepage, which again, I'll, I'll, you know, once you email me all the links, I'll just put them right into the, into the show notes with the, uh, okay. with the episode. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll take it from there. And, you know, again, Meg, even in the future, if you like, whenever you're getting ready to, to release any of your new series or anything, and you want to come on and, and talk to me about it. Uh, yeah. I mean, please get, get in touch with me and I'll be more than happy uh, to have you back on to promote, to promote anything that, uh, that may be coming up for you. Oh, that's fantastic. Thank you for the opportunity. I'd love to. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Well, uh, hopefully you enjoy the rest of your weekend. Yes, I do too. And, uh, you know, I'll be working all weekend anyways, <laughs> because that's what I do. Sure. Working on my books. Um, I, I'm trying to get the first draft of book six done by the end of the year. So I'm plugging away. Hey, I'm sure you have a lot of anxious readers out there waiting, knocking on your door. Where's it at? Where's it at? <laughs> Yes, occasionally I do get messages. <laughs> When's the next one coming out? Hurry up! Well, that's a good I thing, a right? Of- I mean, it, it's it, it lets you know yes. that you're you're needed or wanted out there. So, yeah, yeah. Well, like I say, I'm just so grateful that people have become engaged in the series. I'm glad I'm you know I'd be I'd be writing it anyways, but I'm um, I'm extra glad that other people enjoy it as well. Awesome. Mate. Well, the, just the last thing, and, and again, you can email me this. I usually ask, you know, if anyone you can think of that would be interested in coming on the Neanderthal podcast, you know, you can give them my information or, you know, again, uh, shoot it, shoot it to me in an email or shoot my information to them. Uh, you know, definitely be much appreciated. And uh, well, thank you, Meg, again, for uh, taking the time to sit down with me. I appreciate it. And uh, I, I hope uh, we can sit down again in the future. I hope so too. And thank you again for the honor. All right, Meg. Have a good weekend. Enjoy it. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll be talking to you again. Okay, great. Bye now. Bye-bye. Well, there you have it, Cave Dwellers. A deep dive into the life and mind of our favorite author, E.A. Meigs. I'm excited for the next series as well. I'm sure you are. We got a good look into what and who had an influence on Meg's current Dreamer series and the new series due out in 2021 which picks up with the life of Triss's son, Fox. Make sure you show E.A. Meigs how much you appreciate her and her awesome works, and definitely visit her homepage and dive into all the information that she provides for her followers and readers. And also be sure to check in next week on The Neanderthal Mind as we talk to Gabby LaPera, author, host, and producer of the Anthrobiology Podcast. And here's just a little snippet of what to expect next week. How did the Anthrobiology podcast come about? Yeah, um, so I actually, so when I was working at The Motley Fool, I worked insane hours. Um, and I just like wasn't in a place really where I could like mentally think about uh, starting a podcast. But when I started working at Credit Karma, uh, they have like a very California laid back approach to work. And I was suddenly working like way less, which was great. Like it was so good for me. I was a lot, lot happier. I was suddenly in a place where I like had the time. So like the Anthrobiology podcast is really like a luxury for me that I get to do this. Um, And the thing is, even though I left academia, I never stopped loving anthropology 
like I kept reading books and I always wish that I could talk to people and the anthrobiology podcast has really given me an avenue to talk to some people that are so impressive and so smart and that's kind of why it happened and oh also I had actually done a podcast for the Motley Fool for two years which is where I got the idea that I was even going to be able to do this in the first place, right? Like I had hosted a podcast for them for two years, even though I didn't learn any of the technical skills like editing or anything, um, interviewing in and of itself is a skill. And so I was like, you know what, I bet I could do this for anthropology. And at the time, like four or five years ago, I feel like there just really weren't that many anthropology shows, which is why I started thinking about it back then. But like I said, I just wasn't in the place to actually do anything about it until about a year ago. Thanks for listening to the Neanderthal Mind podcast. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. If you love what you heard, subscribe, rate, and review the Neanderthal Mind podcast wherever you download your podcasts. If you know anyone that you think would enjoy this podcast, please recommend the Neanderthal Mind to them. Until next week, my fellow cave dwellers, don't forget to leave your cave drawings and comments on our wall at theneanderthalmind.com.